Hi, welcome to the Ecclesiastes study at Three Circle Church. It's called Chasing the Wind. What we're going to do each week is we're going to sit down and we're going to have a cup of coffee with the smartest, richest, best-looking, and most experienced person in the world. His name is King Solomon. He was the king over Israel in ancient times, but this ancient and sacred writing of his called the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, although it's ancient, it is so very relevant to our lives. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to, I'm going to make us some coffee because Solomon is waiting for us. And today we're going to be looking at chapter 2 of the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, in week 1, what we looked at, while our coffee's getting going here, we looked at the fact that life without God is meaningless. That's the point of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon's letting you know that a world without God is not a world you want to be a part of. So what he does is he says, hey, if you want to live life under the sun, and that's a phrase that he uses, I think it's the key to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you understand what Solomon's doing here, he's not telling you that these things are what he believes. He doesn't believe life is just under the sun. But he's trying to show you what it looks like if that's how you live, if that's how you see life. And in week one, we looked at the idea of pleasure, if we just make life about uh, indulgence and enjoying life, or if we make life about just being good and making the world a better place, self-improvement. And those two versions of life are hedonism and the idea of humanism. Well, we saw in week one that those don't work. They're empty if life is just life under the sun. See, I think many of us take for granted just all that God does for us. Even if you don't believe in Him, you still live in His world. Can you imagine a world without God? I think it's hard for us to imagine that. It's kind of like this. When, when my wife, I have an amazing wife, and we have three kids, and at our house, if my wife is gone, like if she goes out of town for a few days, we find out really quickly what it's like to do life without my wife in the picture. And it does not go so well. You know, it only takes about a day for us to realize all the things that she does for me and my kids that we didn't even realize. Life just doesn't go that well. And day two, day three with her out of town, it's not a pretty picture at all. Now, in a much greater sense, that's what this world is like without God. And here's what Solomon's doing. If you think it's a heavy, negative book, he's trying to show you this is what life is like if you try to detach any part of your life from God. And then... He's going to point us to what life could be if you would attach your entire life and embed it and anchor it in who God is and your connection with Him, your relationship with Him. So in other words, the book of Ecclesiastes is pointing us all to God. And today we're going to look at chapter 2. So I'm going to grab our coffees. We're going to go sit down at the table with King Solomon. We're going to open our Bibles. You can get your Bible now. Go ahead and go to chapter 2 in Ecclesiastes. The coffee's ready. The Word of God is ready, and today in chapter 2, Solomon's going to move past the idea of pleasure versus self-improvement, and today he's going to look at something that we all deal with. He's going to look at what life and work is all about, because we all have work to do, but many of us are miserable when it comes to our work. Many of you literally get up every day, and you're not looking forward to work at all, yet work's a part of our lives. So, what is work like under the sun, and what what could work be if we would anchor our work in our Creator? That's what Solomon's going to teach us today. So join me. Let's get our coffee. And let's roll.
So today we're going to look at chapter 2 in Ecclesiastes, and here we sit at the table. We're going to sit down with King Solomon, and as you look at Ecclesiastes, a mysterious, hard-to-understand book, I want you to think about it in that way. You're having a cup of coffee with King Solomon. So here's mine, here's yours. Let's sit down and open our Bibles together now. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I know you're already there. Let me read you a verse from last week, week one, again. It's, it's where we get the title of our series. It's verse 14 of chapter one. And it says this, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind, chasing the wind. Now Solomon is trying to help you avoid doing that in your life. Solomon does not want you to waste your life, but he sees humans wasting their lives over and over again. And he's admitting to you that he wasted a lot of his own life. He made a lot of mistakes, and he wants you to learn from his. Life's too short to make a ton of mistakes and learn from your own mistakes. Why don't you learn from others? That is the opportunity you have here, to sit down with King Solomon. And so he's telling you, hey, listen, I've done it all. He is in the unique position because of his money, his fame, his power, his authority, his position in life, he was able to try everything under the sun. So Solomon lived life with that type of viewpoint. And he says, hey, it's empty, it's vanity, it's like chasing the wind, and he doesn't want you to chase the wind. So this entire book's going to try to point you to life out from under the sun, if you will, with an eternal perspective. In other words, Solomon is going to try to point us all right to Jesus, right to our Heavenly Father. So today, let's look at Ecclesiastes 2, 17 through 26, because what Solomon's going to do is help us understand work. And that's something that's a part of all of our lives. Notice I didn't say jobs, because a job and work is a different thing. A job is, is work that you do so that you get a paycheck. But we all have work to do. Humans are made to work. That's part of the deal. So Today, if you're listening to this, watching this, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or whether you're a lawyer or a doctor, whether you're teaching kindergartners today or whether you are doing landscaping in people's lawns, whatever your life work is, I want you to have a biblical perspective of that, and Solomon does as well, and he's, he's going to help us understand that today. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 17 uh, through... 26, let's take a look at these verses. It says this, So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity." So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest." This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. 
Now here Solomon gives you this very unique way of writing that he gave us in chapter 1. He's trying to get you to see what life is like under the sun. If that's all there is, no Bible, no truth, no Jesus, no cross and empty tomb, no purpose for your life. If you are an accidental collision of cells and matter that turned into life, if that's all there is, then Solomon says not only is pleasure and self-improvement useless and meaningless, but also work is meaningless. Like whatever it is that you do, it becomes, instead of work, it becomes this word that he uses called toil. And I, I don't know about you, but that's what I see. I, I remember when I was a high school student, man, I was full of Jesus, a, a young Christian, and I, I remember working in different environments uh, with my church. And there people had joy. They, they felt like what they did mattered. They felt like what they did had purpose. It had, it had vision. Uh, but I remember the first time I got a job outside of my local church. I think I was 16 years old, and I got a job at a pizza hut. That's right. I made pizzas. And I made them, and I was a cook in the kitchen, and I was also a waiter on the floor. And I remember the first time running into people who despised their work. They were, they were just there to get a paycheck, and they hated it. They hated every minute of it. You could tell that life was awful every second that they were there at Pizza Hut. They, and it had nothing to do with Pizza Hut. It just had to do with the fact that they hated their work. They, they were living life like life under the sun. And I remember being so, uh, so heartbroken over it to see their despair. And over life, as I've worked different jobs in different places, I've seen this. I've seen people that literally when Friday comes and if they, if they work in Monday through Friday, as soon as they get off work, it's like they're going to go buy a whole bunch of alcohol and a whole bunch of food and just party all weekend because the only way they can survive another Monday through Friday of this unrelenting, useless, meaningless toil under the sun is to just uh, have fun all weekend and try to forget that that is uh, their life existence. And so if that's you, maybe that's you, and maybe you're not the one that just drinks your weekend away. Maybe you have other ways of doing it. Maybe your thing is another form of escape. But what if there's a better way? Like, what if this coming week, when you wake up on Monday morning and have to go back to whatever your work is, uh, whatever that looks like, what if you don't have to be miserable? And what if you don't actually have to change what you do uh, to actually find joy in what you do? What if the secret's not in changing? What if the secret's in your perspective? That's what you need to understand today. It's interesting. They did a study once on an airline uh, where they were manufacturing planes. And they came in and they did this study. And what they did is they took half the people that were working on the planes. And they told them basically, hey, here's the job and here's how much you're going to get paid. Get after it. Go do it. So pretty much what they did is they said, hey, your job is to make this plane and here's what we're going to pay you for. It was totally transactional and that was it. And then they had another group that they came in and, and, and they totally cast vision to the second group. They told them, same project, but they said, hey, you are going to be building a much faster and safer plane. This plane you're building is going to have better fuel efficiency. It's going to have better wind, uh, you know, the way it re relates to the wind and all of those things. It's going to be a more comfortable plane. And because it is going to be more cost efficient, more fuel efficient, all of those things, it's going to get where it goes faster. You're going to help us bring prices down for people. More people are going to be able to travel, see their families. More people are going to be able to afford to travel that couldn't before. In other words, they gave purpose to what the second group did. 
And here what was, here's what was amazing about the study. The second group did their work better and faster, and they were happier while they did it, exponentially more than that first group. Why was that? Because their perspective was different, because they had the same work to do, but they were looking at their work different than the first group. And that's what Solomon's trying to get you to see today. He's saying, if it's just life under the sun, then work is simply transactional. You're doing this thing that the Bible would call toil. It means I got to do it, but I don't like it, and I'm going to get a paycheck for it, and that's it. And Solomon says, hey, you're going to spend most of your life working. So if that is your view, if there is no purpose, if there is no God, if nothing matters, then your work doesn't matter either. And that is, a, that is an absolutely life-destroying truth uh, if you don't have any meaning outside of under the sun. But Solomon shows us a better way today. He's going to teach us that actually work doesn't have to become toil. Work actually can be redeemed. But today you're going to have to ask that question. He asked it for you here in Ecclesiastes. He says, what are you going to get for all your toil? What is the gain for man with all of their toil? That's a good question for you today because all of us spend a lot of time working. If you're in school, your work right now is to study and to do your schoolwork. If you're an athlete, your work is practice and preparation. Uh, if you're an adult, you're doing some kind of work. If you're, if you're staying at home, you've, you have work to do. Uh, if you're going outside of your home for a career, you have work to do. But how do you view your work? And are you one of those people that thinks always that if you just had a different job, well, the thing is, is you're going to carry your under-the-sun perspective to whatever you do. And I've seen this happen over and over again, where people uh, just change jobs. It seems like every other week, seems like every time you turn around, a person has a new job because they are looking for something that's not going to be there unless they change their perspective. Solomon's trying to get you to see how meaningless this huge chunk of your life is if it's only life under the sun. So let's, to, let's, let's take a deeper look at a few of the things Solomon says in the scriptures that we just read. So the first question we need to ask is, why does Solomon hate life? He starts this group of scriptures with telling you, I hate life. In other words, what he's saying is, when I have a perspective that life is just life under the sun, when I don't have a God perspective, when I don't see more to life, then I begin to, to, to despise this life. And that's where many of you are. And work is a big part of that. And for Solomon, looking at his life work, because he's at the end of his life and he's looking at all this work he did, and he's thinking it was meaningless. Now, let's give you a little background. Why does he say this? Uh, notice that he also says, I figured this out. I've worked my whole life. I've done all these great things, and I'm going to leave it to someone, and who knows if they're going to handle it well. Now, he had good reasons to think that. He, he is giving you reality. If you want a reality check from uh, King Solomon, he'll give it to you here in Ecclesiastes. So what do we know about King Solomon? Well, he was the son of King David. King David, during his reign, King David was really a great military leader, a great king, but there were issues, right? There, there was all kinds of issues connected to David's personal life, and so it was bumpy at times as well. But Solomon, when he becomes king, he was actually a better king in many ways than even his dad. So if you can imagine following a legend, that's what King Solomon did. His dad was a legend, but Solomon actually had a more productive reign as king than even his dad did. During Solomon's reign, he was so wise, so smart, so good at everything he did, the, the nation of Israel actually became the prominent world power during his reign. It, it was it, military success, economic success that was on a scale 
unimaginable during that time. They surpassed all the other nations. Uh, there were sayings in the ancient world during that time that they paved the streets of Israel in silver uh, because Solomon was so great at economics. So they had plenty of money and everyone was doing well. And so Solomon built this beautiful temple. He finished the temple, completed it. There was gold in the temple, lots of gold. I mean, it was incredible. Times were good during King Solomon's rule and reign. So he was successful. If you're just looking at life under the sun during his reign, it couldn't get much better. But at the end of his life, he looks at it and he realizes even if it goes well for you, even if you're successful, it's empty, he says. It's vanity. It's vain, which means that you can't understand it. You can't explain it. It's quick and brief and, and it's futile. It's meaningless. And that's where he gets with his work. And he points out one of the reasons. He's beginning to look at his offspring. And Solomon, I don't know how he came to this conclusion, but he was dead on because his son, who's going to take the throne from him, is Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was a disaster. And Solomon must have seen that coming. Solomon realizes that he's been a wise king, he's been a good king, but he's going to die. And his life was so fast. His dash that we talked about between the numbers, when he was born and when he would die, that dash is so quick. So he is now realizing he's going to pass the kingdom, this thing he worked so hard for, to Rehoboam. What do we know from history? Well, Rehoboam did not reign as well as his father did. So after a 40-year reign, Solomon hands the kingdom to Rehoboam. And when he handed it to them, they were a world power. They were in total economic prosperity. But in one year, now listen, one year is all it took. And Rehoboam had lost 83% of the kingdom that his father gave him. In fact, they became so weak within a year of Rehoboam taking over that Egypt, another world power, threatened to strike them and attack them. And Rehoboam took the gold out of the temple, all of that uh, incredible uh, gold and, and other fine things that his father had amassed for the people of God, for the temple of God, it, he, he gave it all to Egypt to keep them from attacking them. He basically paid them off in a year. He undid everything that his dad had established. And Solomon could see this coming. And as Solomon looked at that, he said, this is one of the reasons I just hate life under the sun. If it's just this, well, then it's meaningless and useless, and it can totally put you down in the dumps if you let it, because it just doesn't matter. He realizes this. He realizes that there's no reason. He begins to realize this truth that we can all understand. I've heard it many, many times. You will never find a U-Haul attached to a hearse, because you're not taking this stuff with you. And Solomon realizes that. He realizes what he spent his whole life on is probably going to simply go away. And he was right, it did. And so the first reason Solomon gives you here is a reality check, is for you to think about your life. Remember, Ecclesiastes is an examination. So your life's quick, what is it gonna matter if it's just life under the sun, even if it's successful? Solomon teaches you that here. The second thing we see here as Solomon teaches us about the, the meaninglessness of work without it being tethered to God 
if it's only under the sun, is that the currency system of this world is actually fading away. Solomon realizes that. He realizes that everything he counted as profit in his natural mind, in, in his flesh, in this natural world, actually in the end is not going to add up to much at all. The New Testament agrees with Solomon here. Listen to what 1 John warns us about and tells us about. In 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, it says this. It starts with a warning. Remember, this is New Testament. It says, do not love the world. In other words, do not love this under-the-sun environment, this system, because this world has a system. And, and the word that 1 John uses here is the word cosmos. And cosmos is this Greek idea of a system. And it's exactly what Solomon's talking about. When Solomon says under the sun, he's not talking about the dirt we're standing on. He's talking about the system of this world. And what John tells you, don't love this world. Solomon's telling you the same thing. Or the things in this world. Look what he says. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, so everything that's in the world, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride and possessions. Watch this. is not from the Father. It's from the world. Verse 17. And the world, remember, not the dirt, but the system, the way we do things, the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Here we have perfect agreement between the Old and the New Testament, as we always do. Solomon's trying to get you to see that if you do your life work, whatever it is, cleaning up the house, uh, doing the paper at, at, at school, uh, the athletics, the art, the music, uh, leading the company, whatever your work is, if you do not anchor it and tether it to something outside of this under the sun, or as First John says, this world and this system. If that's your system to make money and be successful and be somebody, if that's your system, it's going to leave you empty. It is vanity of vanity, Solomon says. John says that that is not a gospel life. It's not the Christian life to anchor your life that way. And I think what happens is many of us actually claim Christ we claim to know God, yet we still live loving this world. We live our life in the same currency system. We simply look at it the same way. And what the Bible's trying to get you to see is believers in God who have the love of God in us according to 1 John. We can't look at life the same way anymore. God changes everything about our lives, including our work. And without tethering your work to God, your work becomes toil. It becomes meaningless and purposeless. That's another thing uh, that Solomon teaches you here about why work needs to be tethered to something outside of under the sun. As we look at the words of King Solomon here, as he sits down with a cup of coffee and helps us understand uh, that we're looking at life all wrong and we're looking at our work wrong. Because remember, you're going to spend a huge chunk of your life working in some way. So if you look at work as just under the sun, it's miserable, it's meaningless. It doesn't have to be that way, though. Solomon doesn't believe that. Solomon is showing you that he's tried it that way. It doesn't work. And, and the problem is our work actually represents more. See, we're creatures of the heart. Everything we do is coming out of the heart. The Bible tells us, above all else, guard your heart. It's where life is coming from for you. You have to guard your heart. You have to watch out for that. In fact, writer and theologian Tim Keller says it like this. He says, there is something wrong in our heart. Fundamentally, the reason you are working is there's something wrong with your heart. The thing you are actually manufacturing is not a product. You are manufacturing a self. You don't know who you are. You are trying to prove yourself, and the work is, is never about others. It's always about you. 
In your work, you're trying to prove that you are somebody special, somebody real. C.S. Lewis, another great writer, says it like this. In your work, you're really saying, I am as good as you. And see, that's, that's what under the sun will do to you. If work is just under the sun, then eventually you will have a choice to make. You'll either just give up on it and go the nihilistic route like many of the Greeks did and say it doesn't matter, so I'm just going to do what I have to do and then die and I'm done. But others go the more humanistic route. And you go, you know what, I, I don't think life has some kind of outside meaning, so you're going to do life under the sun, but you decide I'm going to improve myself. I'm going to be good at what I do. And when you do that, what you're doing is you're falling into this other trap, the trap of humanism. And, and you're trying to build an identity. And work is no way to build an identity. You weren't meant for that. You were made for more than that. And so with all of that in mind, what does Solomon tell us we need to do? So let's go back to the scriptures. And he makes a turn here uh, that I think is very powerful. So in verse 24, he says this. There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Now there it is. Solomon makes a shift here, and it's a beautiful shift. He tells you, you don't have to toil your life away. You don't have to hate your work every day. See, what most of us do is we think that we need to balance work and pleasure, and I've heard that so many times. You need to find a work-pleasure balance, a work-life balance, right? What if that's not the biblical view? Well, it's not at all. In fact, what, what the Bible tells you here is that if you will tether whatever you do in God himself, then your work can become pleasure. That's the key that unlocks this door. You don't have to continue hate to hate every day you get up and go to work. You can begin to make your work joyful, and you don't even have to change what you're doing. You just have to change how you look at it. You have to let God change how you are looking at it. So Solomon in these few verses tells us this. We can actually find pleasure in our work. In fact, he says the word toil. What he's trying to do is get you to understand that if you've allowed work, which is a gift from God, to become toil in your life, which is under the sun toil, you can bring it back to this gift called work simply by anchoring what you do in God. And instead of doing it for you and your identity, do it for the glory of God. So having coffee with Solomon today, he's helping us understand work, which is a huge part of all of our lives. And what he does is he points us to God. He says to understand and enjoy work, to turn work into a pleasure, you got to get it out from under this under the sun mentality. You have to tether it in heaven, in eternity, in your creator. And when you do that, it changes the game. So what we need is a theology of work. What does the Bible teach us about work? And it has a lot to say. We're just going to hit a couple of things. Let's go to the origins. Let's go to Genesis. Did you know that work was not a part of the curse? That's right. Most of us think that life was a breeze in the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve just hung out and ate fruit and went to the hot tub in the pool and everything was great and they, you know, pet lions and stuff like that and it was all awesome. Uh, but that's not what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible tells us in Genesis that God took man, Adam, and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. So notice that. Right out of the gate, we have God giving man something to do, work, and adding vision to it and adding purpose to it. Adam, you have work to do in the garden, 
but it's not just toil. It's work. It's a gift from me. I created you to do this. And I want you to see the purpose in it. You're taking care of this garden. I've given you that responsibility. It's a beautiful picture. So right out of the gate, we have to crush the idea that work is a curse from God. You were made to work. And what Solomon's trying to get you to understand is that if you untether your work from your creator and you being created in his image, then you will hate work. You'll hate every day you have to go. Whatever you do, it doesn't matter. You'll still hate it. It'll be toil. But what if you don't have to survive work? You can actually enjoy it and thrive in your work. Well, that's what was meant uh, for Adam. And then we turn to the New Testament and we go to 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And this is an incredible verse. I just want to read to you because this helps you understand your life. Whatever you do, you can enjoy. Whatever you do, you can find pleasure in it. Your work uh, can be a good thing in your life. So in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, there it is, whatever you do. So right now, why don't you just say out loud, wherever you are, what it is you do. What do you do every day? Say it out loud, all right? And now that you said it, it is under the canopy of what Paul just said in 1 Corinthians. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And there it is. And that's what Solomon just said. Solomon told us in Ecclesiastes, those few verses we read there at the end, he says, you cannot find pleasure and enjoyment outside of God. He says, but when you find pleasure and enjoyment in your work, in your toil, it changes the game. And he says, and this is the gift of God. It's a gift to us. He says, this is from the hand of God. This is what you were created for, what you were meant for. But after the Garden of Eden, sin entered the picture and it twisted everything up. And we started looking at life like it's just life under the sun. And God has a better plan for you. That's what Solomon's trying to get you to see. He wants you to make a turn. He doesn't want you to continue to love this system, this world. He doesn't want you to make it all about you. He doesn't want you to make work your identity. You'll never find it that way. But when you find your identity and who God says you are and who he has paid with the blood of his own son for you to be, you are now a child of God. You were created in his image, and now you've been saved and given new life in Christ Jesus. And now we get to show the world what it looks like to be like our great God. And guess what? Our God works because work is good. And all work now has dignity. This is the beauty. Solomon's trying to tell you, you untether your life from God and your work is vain and it's meaningless. It's like being at my house for a week without my wife in the picture. It gets real ugly real fast. We need my wife because she brings beauty to everything. Everything runs better with her. When we untether from my wife, things get off the rails fast. That's our life. We untether from God. Your life does not have to be meaningless. It can have incredible meaning if you anchor it in doing what you do for the glory of God. So guys, I'm holding in my hands something that most pastors and preachers have in their office. I have, I have one as well. This is a strong concordance of the Bible. Now this guy, this strong guy, uh, he set out to do something really hard in his day Everything was paper, man. Everything was written down. And he decided to catalog every word in the Bible. Every A, D, all of it. Is, I, all the big words, the small words. He cataloged. And now imagine what a monumental project that was. He did all of that work to have this available. But guess what? I don't use my Strong's Concordance anymore. You want to know why? Because I now have a computer and the internet and an iPhone. 
And I can do what would have taken me so long to look up in this book, I can now do in three or four seconds on my phone or my computer. Now, you look at that, and if, and if Strong's the guy that did this concordance, all this work, because now we don't need this anymore. This thing is obsolete now. But was it meaningless? Was it meaningless? No, no, it mattered big time. Because, yes, it took a long time, and now I can do it so fast. I don't really need this anymore, but, but let me tell you why this mattered. It mattered because there's great dignity in work. And guess what? Before the iPhone, before the computer, so many people needed these. In fact, I can remember my youth pastor who had such an impact on my life. He had a strong concordance. And I remember the first sermon I ever preached. I sat down at his table in his kitchen, and he taught me how to write out a sermon. And we used a concordance. It was 1992, 1993. And we didn't have internet and all that stuff available to us. iPhones and computers, they, they, they couldn't work like they do now. And so guess what we used? We used one of these. And he, the man who changed my life uh, with, with his impact on me, my youth pastor, he went to college, he, he studied, he prepared his sermons. Guess what he, he prepared them with? One of these. He used a concordance. Now, what am I trying to get you to understand? I'm trying to get you to understand that all of life can matter. Because if it's just under the sun, then what Strong's did was useless and meaningless. Like, why'd you do that? It doesn't matter. That's what Solomon's point is. I did all this work 40 years. It's going to go away one year with Rehoboam, and it was done. But, but, but when you tether your work to God, it all matters. It's meaningful because you didn't do it for whether or not your work would eventually be obsolete or even go away. You did it for the glory of God. That's where the joy is. That's where the meaning is. So tether your work to God. So I hope you've enjoyed the coffee today. And I hope uh, that this has helped you look at your work differently. I hope you'll never look at it the same. Because your work can matter, whatever it is, if it is not just under the sun, if it's tethered to something outside. And Solomon doesn't just say tether it to anything. He says connect your work to God. Connect it to who he is and what he has done in you and for you. Do everything you do to the glory of God in that perspective will change your life. And it will move your toil back to being work, which is a gift of God, which is enjoyable. In fact, God connects work and pleasure instead of keeping them separate. Under the sun, separate. You're just trying to survive on the weekend because you know you got to go back to work. God says, no, no, no. All of life is to my glory and can be joyful and pleasurable for you. It is a game changer. It reminds me this whole idea because we're created in the image of God. We work like God, except God is perfect. So we are shadows of him. We're like, we're, we're showing the world what it looks like to be like God because you're created in his image and now in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer, it reminds me of this story I heard about a concert pianist, this amazing pianist could just do amazing things. And, and he was going to do this big concert. And this mother brought her child, her son, to see this great concert pianist. And the kid was like eight or nine years old. And they get to the uh, auditorium. The lights are on the stage. There's the big grand piano. Everything's about to go. And her child was taking piano lessons. He was already learning to play piano. But of course, he wasn't really good yet. And so uh, her kid got away from her. She didn't realize it, but he had walked away. And as the lights came up on the stage, that little boy walked out to the stage. The crowd was waiting on the concert pianist, but instead a little boy walks over to the piano, sits down, and begins to play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little 
star. And he's playing this over and over again, and the crowd is gasping, and the mother is terrified, and it's awkward. And then all of a sudden, the concert pianist walks out on stage, and no one knows what's about to happen. A little boy looks up at him, and the pianist said, keep playing. Keep playing your song. Just like you are, just keep playing. So the little kid kept playing, twinkle, twinkle, little star. And this concert pianist sat down next to the kid at the piano and begins to play. The master began to play next to the pupil. The expert, uh, the professional, began to play with just a shadow of himself sitting next to him. And the crowd went crazy. It was incredible. It was beautiful. And in that moment, that concert pianist showed the room with that little boy that he was better than they even thought. He was a greater pianist than they even thought because he could make beautiful music even with that little boy who was so limited in what he could do. And that is why our work is so huge. How do we glorify God in the mundane things of our lives? Well, while we're playing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star with our work and our everyday existence, if we do it to the glory of God, God shows the world that he can make even our mundane things beautiful. And he can work through plumbers and lawyers and doctors and teachers and, and, and housekeepers. He can work through all of us to make the world a beautiful place because it matters. It matters. It all matters. He, he makes things beautiful if we're willing to play with him. If we're willing to let the song of our lives, the work of our lives, be connected to him, then it all matters. It's not vanity anymore. So today, the challenge is do what you do to the glory of God because either everything is meaningless or everything matters. you got a choice. The choice before you can change everything. And my hope is today that you will anchor your work to the glory of God.